0: the father and his family the father and his family and and this brings a whole lot of um, vantage points to us as christians so let's just have a short word father we thank you tonight and we pray that as we just have this discussion we pray that um Uh, you will speak to our hearts, you will inspire us that everything we learn and we discuss, Lord, will yield fruits um, in our lives, spiritually, financially, mentally, socially, um, materially, in all spheres of our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. So I want to ask generally, in our daily lives, in our approach of God, do we approach him more like a father-to-son or father-to-daughter relationship or like um, a God to uh, the created? We are the created, right? Um, That's one approach. Uh, A God to the creation or created mentality, uh, a master to a servant mentality. In your conversation, in your prayers, in your studying, um, you open the Bible and your your longing to relate with this um, eternal being. Do you approach him more from the father to son or father to daughter relationship, or? do you approach him like um a master to a servant or a god to um uh a created being relationship so concerning your question i think um <coughs> when you come when i personally when i ask god for anything i think it's based on a father son relationship okay Uh, That's a nice one. And do you always follow through? Because, um, you know, most times we always start out um, in the place of prayer because, uh, well, at the very beginning, maybe we're conscious of the fact that yes, he is a father. But subsequently, maybe after you've asked or uh, probably, you know, your relationship generally, um, as you continue in the place of prayer, do we always see through? And that is where the big question comes in. Um, I, have, I, have, I have looked at a lot of prayer points being raised in the church in, um, in our recent times. You realize that we Christians deal more with God um, from either the perspective or the view of the master to his servant or a God to the created being perspective. Um, you would see it in the in the way people pray, uh, uh, the way they they ask for things, um, the way they petition God,, uh, you know, the way they beg God, I think the word there is basically beg and cry for things. Um, we have been made to believe. Uh, um, and, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that even um, our so-called great men of God, and it's, it's, it's maybe not their fault, but it's a factor of how they were also brought up um, on this journey of Christianity. Um, you know, I I was at a program on Friday. Uh, I wouldn't want to mention the program anyways, but I was at a program on Friday and someone was praying beside me. And you know that, that kind of prayer, when you begin to shake your head and, you know, your head, uh, if not careful, can even fall off. And, you know, the motions where the person begins to shake his head and also their hands and everything. And it's it's rather so funny because I don't see anyone talking with an earthly father that way. Uh, I understand the place where the place or the picture of... A child who is in dire situation, is is in dire need of something, and he runs to his father, or probably something is urgent and he cries out. There are times when a child cries to the father. Imagine you put your hand, your hand gets stuck. As you, You see children, their hands get stuck in something, and they're shouting, daddy, 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 you know. We understand that place. But you'd understand that a child doesn't shout daddy, daddy, daddy all the time when he needs things. He basically just approaches his father. Sometimes he takes hold of these things, even without asking the father. You know, but we have been made as Christians to to live a certain kind of life. We have been made to see ourselves more like beggars. Rather than, you know, I, I I try to picture the miracles that Jesus Christ did. I, I one of the miracles that struck me, um, the miracle of um, that's uh, um, the centurion coming and you know, and when he came to Jesus, this guy. Isn't this guy is a Roman soldier? He's an unbeliever. He came to Jesus Christ and said, See, I have someone at home that is sick. I want you to pray for the person, right? And Jesus was about to follow him. And he was like, Lord, you don't need to follow me. I, you know, I'm a man under authority, and when I give commands, it happens the way. It is commanded. So why would you your word carries authority? You don't even need to follow me. He understand he sorry, he understood the place of the mathematics of faith. He understood that. See, when if when a son comes to the father and says, Father, I want to take your car out um he understands that as far as he is concerned the father owns the car but the car is also his he has all the right in this world as long as he doesn't disobey the father or the father puts um you know um an embargo or something no as long as there's a smoothness and even to a certain extent Even when there's no smoothness, there are still some things that, because he's a child or a son, his understanding is wired to make him understand that, see, these things are my certain rights and privileges. But when you see an average Christian today, it is not so. We're basically begging for everything, back and forth. Um, I, I, I would like to first read John 16... 26 to 27. And I'll read from the Amplified Version. John 16, John 16, 26 to 27. Uh, Jesus was saying here, He says, At that time you will ask or pray in my name. And I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for it will be unnecessary. For the Father himself tenderly loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from the Father. Now the first time I read that place, it really shook me because you know most of us when we're praying, yeah, we're made to believe that we pray through Jesus Christ, right? Now we 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 fail to see that. Jesus is saying here that, see, I have created the way, the path already. Now you are sons. You don't need to come through me to get to the Father. I know we have been told that we pray through the name of Jesus. And that is basically understandable. What that place means is that he was the one who created the pathway. So we pray in the name of Jesus. His name is like the signed check. What this passage is saying that is saying is that you don't have to give the, the check back to someone to take it to the bank for you. The bank being God here. You know, it's just like um, there's only one person who is um, valid to enter into the bank, right? And Jesus being that person. Now, we have the mentality in our minds that we have to give the check to Jesus to take it to the Father. No, that's not what he's saying there. or That, is not, that, that, is, that has been the mentality we have, we have been made to see, but that is not the case. What he's saying is that anytime you pray, there's a blank check already signed in my name. You walk into God's presence by yourself and ask and drop the check and you'll get your request. I don't need to take the check in there for you. Because as far as you are concerned, the Father loves you just the same way he loves Jesus Christ. And we established that in John 17, 23. I I think I would like to also read that. John 17, 23. Um, You know, some people are so spiritually, um, uh, what's the word now? um psyched up that they feel oh why would someone say god loves us the same way he loves jesus it means they don't understand the the value of what jesus has come to, or what jesus came to do basically what jesus came to do was he came to establish sonship for us i know the bible uses the word adoption in like four places but we need to understand that Yes, we are adopted. It's a process of adoption. But you know, the worldly adoption is totally different from the spiritual adoption. Now, the worldly adoption um, is clear. We know that no matter how much someone says he adopts you, his blood still does not flow in your veins. But that of God, or that of the spiritual is totally different. Once we give our lives to Christ, The Bible says we become a partaker of his divine nature. It means that the same same nature of God, the same blood that runs in his body, runs in our bodies. It may be hard to comprehend, but it's the fact. So John 17, 23 says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that Thou has sent me, and has loved them as Thou has loved me. It is basically simple English, as, and has loved them as Thou has loved them as Thou has loved me. It means put us and Jesus on the on this on the scale. We are loved the same way he is loved. There's no, there's no difference. And that was why Jesus was saying to them in the earlier um, 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 scripture that we read earlier, John 16, 26, 27. That was why he was saying to them that, see, don't be afraid to, to step into the Father's domain or his presence to present the check yourself. I, I, you don't need to i i, I will not take these prayers for you by myself anymore because now you have the right to step into that throne room and execute whatever it is you want to execute and john 20 just a um, flip um, here and uh, uh, here uh, to verse chapter 20 um, verses 17 John 20 17 says, Jesus said unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Nothing excites me more than this place. My father and your father. He did not say, my father and your God. He said, my father and your father. My God and my God. You know, it clears all doubts in our minds. So when you see, when I see Christians today and their their approach in the place of prayer, it saddens my heart. Um, You know, if a mother does not forget her suckling child, you know, we have, been, we have been schooled to believe that God even forgets. You know, we pray prayer points like, God, remember me. God, remember me. And I'm asking Christians, does the living God, the invincible God forgets? <laughs> you see people practically praying and crying to god from a view or from a point of it hey, just just do this thing for me i'm begging you just do it I, you know it, it it paints a picture of a, of a of of a god who is more of a master than a father i've always said it um if you go along, if you're, if you're driving and you see beggars on the road, you won't suddenly stop by and wheel half of your wealth to a beggar on the road. When a beggar on the road is pleading and stretching out his hands for you to um, help out, what most people in Nigeria do is, um, you know, the best of, of the best people... Will probably, you know, if their head is just, you know, there that day, they'll probably just give a beggar a thousand naira, right? Which you would even hardly see. Now, that is exactly the picture a lot of Christians paint when they are approaching God. They are seemingly going on their knees and they are saying, if, it, if it's just 15 naira, just give to me so that I can eat and at least fill my belly, you know, just just something to, to put in my belly. And the whole Bible doesn't paint God like that. You know, if you take, go back to the, the, the story of the prodigal son. See the child, the prodigal son himself, the child who had gone wayward. He had done everything that defiles righteousness. I mean, he collected, imagine, and that is how sweet God is. This is someone who has asked for his own portion of his will, the father's will. So if by mathematics or by the nature of things, that means after spending everything he asked for, there's nothing remaining for him again from his father. Because obviously you have taken your share. But this guy went ahead. Spent everything that the father gave to him, everything that accrues, that should accrue to him as one of the sons of the father. He got it. He went away, burnt everything. He went to the whore. He went to whores. He went to brothels. And, you know, he spent the money foolishly. Now, he the Bible said he came back to his senses. And he just said, see, if... If my father's servants can have certain privileges, I think, if I go back, I think, worst case scenario, I can partake of those privileges. And he went back. And from afar off, the father saw him and ran. Embraced him, gave him a new ring. <laughs> gave him a new sandal. Gave him a new robe. You know, scripturally, these these things that I just mentioned, they they have their meanings. A new robe, a new sandal. Now, this guy hadn't even started begging. He, what his what his plan was was, I'll get to my father and I'll beg, father. If I know I've committed treason, I've done this, I've done that. Just let me eat with your servants he had not even opened his mouth yet this now because so many times we're not being practical we're not being biblically practical even though some of us have done the worst of things the bible is making us understand here that if you go back to god all you need is come back to your senses. All that God requires from you is come back to your senses. Come to him. And from the gates, he would run and he would bombard you with all the blessings. To the extent that, see, the elder, the, the elder one was angry because he came from the farm now, from the farm. Now imagine someone who was diligent at the moment. He was diligent. He was working. In fact, he was just coming from where he was being diligent. And he saw that some sort of celebration was going on and um, he asked the particular servant, what is actually going on? And the servant said, oh, your brother has just come back and the father, your father said we should kill the fatted calf. And he was like, really? I have been here. So he went to the father in, in anger and said, father, I have been with you all this while. It never even crossed your mind to kill that fatted calf or one of these fatted calves for me. And the father replied him and said, Really? Son, you are with me always. At your own discretion, you could take any one of these things and kill without even asking me. Now, Jesus was trying to make them understand. That this guy does not even understand his father, he didn't even understand a place of or the position of sonship that he had. Because he the father was saying, You didn't even need to come to me, you don't need to come to me to get permission for these things. You know, okay, let me go a little deeper. Um <laughs> There's no place, there is no place in the Bible. Uh, I mean, in the New Testament, in this dispensation, where you would see any one of the disciples of Christ pray some certain kind of prayers. Watch out for their pattern of prayers. Do do a, a deep study. Read from Matthew to Revelation by yourself all over again, if you have done it before. And see the pattern of praying they did. You will never see any one of them say, "Lord, anywhere the enemies are gathered against me, scatter them." <laughs> you won't see Paul pray short of prayers. If you want to see the kind of prayers Paul prayed, which one of, uh, of which one of them is even uh, one uh, one of the anchor scriptures for tonight? Ephesians, Ephesians chapter three, verses fourteen to fifteen which I pray, you know, for, for, for such a, a while in my own personal life, I had to pray that prayer because Kenneth Higgins said he prayed that place for, you know, for an uncountable number of times. It says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he will grant unto you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in my inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart by faith, and I, being rooted and grounded, may be able to comprehend with all sin what is the breadth and depth and um, 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 length, um, um, depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, you see another prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1, right? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding mean enlightening that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding grace of his power to us, what do, and on and on like that. You see another one in Colossians 1, verses 9, where Paul was saying um, God should uh, fill us with uh, wisdom of his will uh, and all of that. See the pattern of prayers that Paul prayed. Another one is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 downwards to 10, where Paul was saying that I may know him. Look at the pattern of praying the disciples did, the apostles did. You know, we're so much concerned about how a servant will rather think than the way a son will think. You know, when when a son is with his father, the father is holding his hands, and probably. A dog is coming and the child is afraid of a dog. What does it do? What does what, what would the child do? The child would just probably hug the father or move closer to the father, isn't it? Believing that the father, by default, would scare away the dog or will protect him or her against the dog, it's a default thing. The Bible says we are the apple of his eyes. Now, is it possible being the apple of God? We you know I try to be mathematical when dealing with God because. So many of us as Christians, we try to be em- emotional rather than being practical. Is it possible that something wants to enter my eyes? Imagine uh, God having eyeballs and I am I'm the apple of his eyes, right? And something wants to, some, maybe the devil wants to put a pin into the eyes of God. Imagine how God will react by default, but you know rather than doing that most of us we are we would rather be begging god and praying against our enemies. <laughs> and I don't blame a lot of Christians the point is they have they have so much wealth in the old testament and because they didn't really understand the the pattern of the old testament they They bring in the Old Testament into the New Testament. Now, we're not saying the Bible has disparities. No, but you need to understand something. For example, I'll show you clips of how some certain people in the Old Testament took charge because they really understood God and how some did not take charge. And God was telling them, why didn't you take charge? For example... Moses was taking the children of Israel, right? Um, they got to the Red Sea. That is one example. Another example is, but I'll, I'll continue the example anyways, but so that I don't forget. Another example is the story of Balak, Balak, Balaam. The, the prophet of God was called to come and curse the children of Israel. But when he, when he, when, when, when he was called upon, he said, see, don't waste your time. Those that God have blessed cannot be cursed. If you try to curse them, it's just automatically going to be a blessing for them because as far as God is concerned, they are blessed. But upon, upon further pushing and bribing the man of God, which eventually got God angry because um, imagine a man of God, somebody call, calls you and says, come and, curse, come and curse the children of Israel. And you already said to the person, God has blessed his guys. Don't bother cursing them. Now, the same person called you again and said, go and go approach God now. Um, there should be something we can do, you know? And you went back to God. Can you imagine that? You went back to God and you were trying to, and God said, okay, go ahead. Can you imagine that? <laughs> we have to be careful as Christians. Why go and approach God? God, who had told you first that you shouldn't even follow such, so the Old Testament has its own twist, right? But now let's go to, to, to the one to, to the story of Abraham, uh, uh, Moses, right? Moses got to the Red Sea. They wanted to cross. The children of Israel were really pushing hard and, you know, they were like, you brought us out of Egypt to bury us, right? To kill us uh, because probably, they, you know, um, we didn't have enough burial grounds or thereabouts. But, you know, and they were pushing the whole thing on Moses and Moses cried to God and God said guy why are you calling why are you, why are you guys wasting your time and calling out to me he said what is in your hand Moses the rod is in your hand stretch forth the rod now god was basically telling Moses you you didn't need to call you didn't you, you don't need to call you didn't need you didn't need it calling on me for what? You, you take the reins. I have given you the authority. I gave you a rod, a staff. And I put everything you needed in that staff. And that staff symbolizes Jesus Christ. is a type of Christ. And, you know, God said, just do the do, do this thing and, you know, go ahead. And you find cases where Moses, Moses took, because I think he started learning. Look at when Dayton, Coran, and Abiram, you know, came up against him and, you know what Moses said? Moses said, see, guys, huh? you have challenged me today. You guys would only die a natural kind of death or in common type of death, except I'm a man of God. And the Bible said the ground opened and swallowed them. He took the reins. He took the, the authority into his hands because God expected him to do that. Look at the case of Phinehas. Some people were committing fornication right there in the camp. And Joshua, they were, you know, it was terrible in the camp because God was killing. God, you know, his his eyes cannot behold iniquity. And God started killing. And this guy took the spear, went straight into into the tent where they were committing the abominable act, and he spared them through. And God said, wonderful, wonderful. You will see time and time again where the men of God in the Old Testament took the laws into their hands because they knew what their rights and privileges were, and God was proud of them. But you would also see cases where they were begging on God for something. Now, we had some imperfections in the Old Testament. Why? Because it's the Old Testament, it was the era of the law. And the era of the law was not a perfect, perfect time. That's why the Bible says in the New Testament, the Bible says we have been given a better covenant made on better promises. If it was not better, the Bible wouldn't have said it. There wouldn't have been a need for the new if the old was better. But modifications had to be done on the old to get a better one. And that is why when we get to the New Testament, you will never see anybody pray against his enemy. You will never see Paul say, let my enemy fall, fall down and die. That's not his business. His own business was, as far as I remain in love with my father. My father knows his duty. You know, it's, it's so sweet to see God from the, from the vantage point of being a father. And that was the whole thing that Jesus Christ was trying to establish with the disciples. He said, my father is always with with me because I do those things that makes him happy. I please him always. It is a certain thing. You know, go back to the story of when Jesus was to raise Lazarus. He said something there that that I, I just discovered a few weeks ago. You know, John 11 verses 42, or let me read 41 to 42. It says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now, I discovered this one a long time ago that the, because he spoke in past tense. there He says, Father, I thank you for thou, that thou hast heard me. He did not say, Father, I thank you that you will hear me. That means it was already a settled deal, right? Before he, he came there, he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now, what struck me was verses 42 and 43. Okay, basically 42 anyways. He says, and I knew that thou hearest me always. Now, see, he did not say, look at the way King James put it. He did not say, and I know. He said, and I knew. So what he was basically saying, if we we're, if we're, if were to understand this um, grammatically, would say, He was referring to when he was talking to God probably about Lazarus ever before he came here. He says, and I knew that thou hearest me always. That is when he was praying. He had a certain confidence that, see, as far as I am concerned as a son of my father, he hears me always. He says, and I knew. That is when, wherever the past, when he was praying or talking to God about Lazarus or thereabout. He said, and I knew that thou hearest me always. He now said, but because of the people which stand by, I said it. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, he did not need to pray for Lazarus to come forth there, but he said it for their sakes. I don't know if we understand what we're saying here because the reason he prayed there was not because he needed to pray for Lazarus to come forth. He prayed there for the sake of those who were there so that they will know that he was praying to a particular God, which is his father, so that they will know that, okay, there's a relationship between this man and God is a father and son relationship and whatever he asks for, he always got it. Now, do you realize that most Christians don't relate with God like this? They don't. They rather side in with what the world is saying, with their confession, with their with their conversation. We we Christians practically beg God. Jesus never begged God here. When he was to multiply the bread and the fishes, he did not beg God. The Bible says he just lifted up the bread and he gave thanks. Father, thank thee. Thank you. And he said to the disciples, share the bread. Share the fish. When he was on the boat with them and there was a storm. See the way he also acted. And see the way, see, see his question to them. When they woke him up and they said, Carest thou not that we perish, he said unto them, guys, what is all these things now? What are all these things you're asking me? Why why are you why I, I, I'm tired? Why do you have to wake me up? You could have done this yourself. While they were saying, What manner of man is this? He was saying, Guys, it is not a question of what manner of man that I am here. It's a matter of if you had done this thing yourself, he would have answered you the same way he would answer me. And we would see that immediately after Jesus Christ left, they learned their lesson. See when Peter and John were at the beautiful gate, they did not pray you. know, most times we were so keen about praying, praying, praying. Look at all the people that Jesus Christ healed. How many of them did he actually pray for? He will just tell them, "Oh, your faith has made you whole. Go and show yourself to the priest." "Oh, woman, your faith has made thee whole. Oh, according to your faith, be it unto you." He did not say. He did not start a series of prayer point and say, "Father, in the name of Jesus, oh, I thank you for yesterday. I thank you for today. I thank you all oh, this." I, mm-mm. He had settled all that in the place of prayer. There's a relationship, there's a standing or working relationship. All you need to do when you're faced with a problem is address the situation. Except God says, okay, pray for this and that. That is where you have an express instruction from God. But aside that, you would never see Jesus Christ call on the Father when he needed to do those things. And are we trying to imitate him the same way he lived? it's funny. And that was what happened to Peter, Peter and, and John when they got to the beautiful gate and the man was asking for arms. Peter, the Bible says, and Peter looked at the man. He stared at him and said, see, guy, silver and gold, I don't have it. I don't have any of that. <laughs> but such as I have, I have one thing, I have one thing. Oh. I have one thing. And that thing which I have, I'm giving to you now in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. That was a conversation. He did not close his eyes. He did not say, okay, close your eyes, let us pray. No. It's a conversational thing. He said, it's just like you're talking to someone. Oh, the person is asking for arms and you just say, oh, I don't have silver and gold. But what I have, I, what I, the only thing I have that I was giving was the name of Jesus. Because when Jesus was going, that was what he said. He said, see, I give you this name. Whatever you ask in my name, now it is done. So that was what Peter was basically, that was what Peter basically did. He looked at the man and said, See, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but I have something, and that is the name of Jesus. Please, in that name, rise up and walk. It was a conversation. When the, when the possessed girl was following Paul and it was, it was, you know, trying to give recommendation to Paul, Paul did not close his eyes and pray. Obviously, Paul knew better that you don't get recommendation from the de- from the devil. The same way people try to you know try to give Jesus Christ recommendation, but the Bible said he knew men. He did not put his his life or his his uh, his account into the hands of men because he knows he knows that these men they are only in it for what they are gain. So Paul knew better. Paul just you know he just spoke the words, and we don't relate with God like this anymore. Most Christians don't. Would rather beg God on so many things. And and that is why I love a man like Smith Wigglesworth. That was why he was referred to as the apostle of faith. A lady came to him. No, not a lady now. I think a guy came to him. You know, somebody told the guy to go and meet him. You know, it's a a very funny um, testimony. So the guy didn't have any feet at all. Both feet, uh, uh, both feet were gone. He didn't have any feet at all. And so he was, I think he was walking with crutches or thereabouts, you know, just to make sure he would work. And somebody said, um, There's a man of God in town with Uguswald, so go and meet him. And, you know, so he went. He entered into the office. Okay, he saw the reception, receptionist rather. Um, and, you know, they ordered him, they directed him inside. He entered. While, he, while uh, um, I think at the moment, Smith Ugesworth was probably busy, was probably reading something or he was doing something. So the man entered and Smith Ugesworth did not even look up. He just asked, oh, so what's, what's the issue? And the man said, oh, I was told to come and meet you, blah, blah, blah. I don't have any, you know, I don't have this and that. And he said, OK, go to a shoe shop and get a pair of shoes for yourself. He was thinking Smith Wigglesworth would, you know, be emotional with him and say, Oh, ah, sorry. Uh, okay, go on your knees, let us pray, or okay, close your eyes, let us pray. No, 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 no. He wasn't even emotional. He, he didn't even, he didn't even look at him or thereabouts. I, I can't really picture the story well, but it's because it's been a long time already. But he just told the guy, go to the shoe shop and get a shoe for yourself. And you know, the man was emotional and he was sad. He got to the receptionist and was like, This man of God did not even pay attention to me. He just, you know, shabbily said I should go to the... And the the receptionist looked at him and said, he told you to do that. He said, well, then what else do you need? He said, go and do as the man of God said you should do. And I think that gave him some brain. He quickly gave himself some brain. And he went to the shoe shop. When he got there, the person selling the um, the the um, he, he was attended to and was asked, okay, what size? He just picked the size he wanted, and by the time they brought the shoe to him, as he was about to put it on, his feet grew out. That is a wonderful miracle. You know, that is a mouth watering miracle. Now, Smith Wigglesworth is someone who, you know. I once read in his book, he said, if you pray to God seven times for one thing, he said, you have prayed six times in unbelief. And sincerely, how many of us, except our fathers are, beggar, are poor, how many of us, actually when we need something, for example, when we were in school, right? I remember when I was in school, I didn't need to, well, maybe by the time we we'll resume, probably if there was a little delay with my dad paying the school fees. Once I get home and, and, I, and I tell my dad, oh, and that's, oh, oh, we've resumed. Oh, your school fees, that is all. Even if he doesn't pay the next day, probably because he's busy or um or they're about to go to the bank or something like that, you'd understand that it is settled. The only thing you will do if you realize that the next day you get to school and it's not been paid, is that, oh, you just get home and say, daddy, ah. Um, did you uh, the school fees uh, the access, and they say oh, oh, oh and imagine that is because our earthly fathers can forget things but even in the best of scenarios you realize that your earthly father is more concerned about paying your school fees even than you that you're going to the school how much more God and it showed expressly in the life of Jesus himself because while he was on earth, when any challenge came his path, basically what he did was he took charge. Look at when he was told to, when they were told to pay tax, he just told his disciples, "Okay, uh, well, we know we should not pay tax because we're, we're sons, right? Uh, but you know, let's just give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, right?" And he said, "Okay, go to the go to the uh, to the sea there or to the river there, uh, put in your hooks." the first fish you bring out, uh, you know, you get a coin there. Come on, give it. He was practically in charge, always in charge. There was no situation where he begged for a certain need. The father and his family, do you consider yourself as part of the family of God? Do you really consider yourself a son or a daughter? And that was why I asked at the very beginning, I said, when you're relating with God, how do you relate with God? In your conversation, your confessions, in your prayers, would you rather beg God or take charge of things? When you're praying to him, how do you approach him in the place of prayer? Do you come from the perspective of being a servant, relating with a master, or a son, relating with a father, or a daughter, relating with, the fa- with, it, with our father? And that speaks a whole lot because it is a defining factor. The moment you understand that you are a son or a daughter, your view to life or your view about God changes entirely. You need something, you're not going there to beg him. You're basically acting on his word. He said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it. Whatever you ask in my name, I will give it. You know, we're not supposed to shy or to be shy when we're asking God for things. says, ask till your joy be full. You know, put a picture in your mind. When you take your children out, maybe for dinner or an outing or a picnic, and you have a, 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 a cooler full of food and drinks and all of that, And you know, your son is there with you. What you have, you yourself cannot finish it. Even with everybody eating, it still would remain a whole lot. And your and your son is asking, Mommy, I I, I want more. You say, Are you sure? Are you sure that is enough? Let me put more. You you, you you're willing to give more because you have more in abundance to give than the child is willing to ask. Why? Because. It is your child, the father and his family. You know, there are certain things I don't, I don't pray to God for. I thank God for them, but I don't pray to God for it. I don't say, Father, um, uh, every demon from the pit of hell trying to destroy my destiny and all of that. Everywhere they are gathered against me and all of that. What is your own with where they are gathered? There's a fact, there's a promise, there's a principle already stated in the Bible. Even all the way to Isaiah, the Bible says, And surely they shall gather. But anywhere they gather, they shall not, their garden shall not be uh, prosperous. So, did he say you should pray? There was no instruction there that says pray. The Bible only said that surely they'll gather. Anywhere they gather, whatever they do will not prosper. So he never gave a commandment to say you should pray and that God will even scatter them. All you need to do is you just keep enjoying God. Whatever the Bible didn't say you should pray about, don't bother praying about it. The Bible says, ask for your daily bread, then ask for it. The Bible says, oh, deliver me from evil, then pray that. Because the devil is out for you. And it's it's when, when the Bible says, deliver me from evil, when Jesus was leading the prayer and said, deliver me from evil, you need to see the brother picture of what he was praying for. He's not saying that by default, when the enemy throw an arrow at you, that it will hit you. No, it won't. But if you fall into temptation, the evil will conquer you. So, it's, it's a brother picture. You need to see it in a brother picture. As far as you stand, that, that's why you would see when Paul was talking about the, the armor that a Christian should wear. He never said strike or fight. He said, and haven't done all to what? To stand. Stand. He said, put on all the own armor of God and stand. He never said, you know, it's just like a, a soldier putting on his full kit. Nobody has given the command that you should go and fight. The only fight the Bible says we should fight is the fight of faith. And what is the fight of faith? You're contending for your faith. You don't want to lose your faith. And how do you contend for it? By feeding on the word of God, by obeying the scriptures. And then you are able to approach the father. You see, the more you soak yourself in the word, the more the confidence will be built in you. That you know, that you know, that you know. That no matter what happens when you go through the fire. The fire will not burn you. And when you go through the waters, it will not overshadow or overwhelm you. It is a fact. Hebrews 13:5 says, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Read that place from the Amplified Version, Hebrews 13:5. You will be wild. Read it from any other version if, except the King James Version, or read from the Hebrew, uh, sorry, from the Greek Bible directly, you would see the emphasis God put on that place. I am with you always. Always I am with you. I will never leave nor forsake you. So we need to understand where we stand. Are you a son? What are the privileges of a son? Are you a servant? What are the privileges of a servant? You know, you know that the privileges of a servant is way different than the privileges of a son. The approach of a son is way different from the approach of a servant. The way a servant will compose himself in the living room when his boss is there or his master is there is different from the way his son would sit in the living room when the father is there. When his his son is in the living room with his father, he will sit carelessly, he will sit, he can roll on the floor, he can do as he pleases, he can stand up, sit down. But... When a servant is in the living room with the, with the master of the house, even the way he will sit, he will sit straight. He won't even be able to relax well on the chair. He would sit straight and he will be so conscious and cautious of how he's, you know, his surrounding, you know, and all of that. But see the way his son or his daughter will throw this, themselves into the arms of their father you see the child who will run and you know relax on the arm of the father or on the legs of the father a servant will never do that the perspectives are different no matter how much a servant is loyal to the master he will come there's a way he will comport himself when the master is around in the living room but even a son look, look at this a son that is not even the most loyal That is not even the most obedient. See the way his son would comport himself. The son will still be playing here and there, jumping here and there. That is even his son that is not 100% obedient. How much more when his son is now 100% obedient or striving for perfection by God's grace? Imagine how much the father will lavish on him. I just mentioned the case of the prodigal son. This was a a, a child, a son, who had had disgraced the father, who had done everything that that should make the father disown him. But even, even before he opened his mouth, far away, before he uttered any words, the father ran. Because he saw him from afar off, he ran to him, gave him a new sandal, a new robe, a new ring. Without uttering words. Because all the Father needs is your heart. Your heart. Repentance starts from the heart. Because this will affect your faith life. This will affect the next time you get into God's presence, how you talk to Him. Are you talking in a conversational tone? <laughs> you know, it still plays back in my head. The night my phone was stolen, I got home that night. And, you know, the way I'm talking, I was talking like I was talking to my father. It was not a case of holding holding a, a metal or a pole in the church and I was screaming at the top of my voice. No, 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 no. I got home that night and I danced. I praised God. I prayed, not for the phone, like I said, because I said I wouldn't pray for it. And I went to bed. And the next day and subsequent days after for the next four months into the into the fifth month before I got the phone back, I was having conversations with God. It was conversational. It was a talking, it was a talking pattern. I was talking with him. You know, doesn't it surprise us when you see Christians pray and when you open the Bible, you see when Jesus Christ appeared to John on the island of Patmos and God and Jesus was talking to John. Was it not a conversation? It was a conversation. How do you pray? You have some certain needs right now. How do you approach God? Do you talk to him? Oh, daddy. Okay. This is the level of my faith. Uh, My faith is shaking right now. But Lord, I believe you. I believe you. And I'm going to stand with you. And when you do that, you keep reading. You keep strengthening your faith. By the materials you pick on on faith, You keep reading and strengthening your faith. And each day you go back and say, Father, I know you have done it. I know you have done it. I may not have seen it in the physical, but I'm certain. (laughs) Because you are not a man that you should lie. You are not the son of man that you should repent. There's a way that as you begin to speak with God, in a conversational tone, you will know that you will feel you will know that you are talking with someone but when you are shaking your head and you are just shouting back and forth and you are pacing back and forth in your room. It's, it's a whole different ballgame entirely. How do you talk with your father? Paul said in Ephesians 3.14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he will grant unto me, according to the riches in in glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in my inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart by faith. That I be rooted. You see Christians praying. And they are doing repetition. Oh, Lord, do it. Oh, Father, do it. Oh, Father, do it. Oh, do it. Oh, do it. When we are talking with our fathers, our earthly fathers, is that the way we talk to them? You stay at the doorstep of a father. You enter his room and you start. You sh- sh- shaking your head. Oh, father, do it. Oh, father, do it. Oh, father. Do we try to put these things practically before ourselves and reason it out? When when God appeared, the Bible said Moses. God appeared to Moses. With on on uh, the, uh, at the uh, uh, on the mountain or thereabout when he was sending ship uh in the form of a burning bush right a bush was burning or a tree was burning and moses approached and god's high speaking and they were talking was that not prayer when moses got up to the mountain and he said god and eh, this and that i have not seen your face before eh, show me your face was he saying god eh, show me hey eh, lord show me your face show me no it was conversational you see people they say you should pray for something pray Lord, okay, pray that God should uh, uh, increase you. So you start putting the word increase. Oh, Lord, increase me. No. After you have said, Father, increase me. Why not just, if there's still more time, why not just be praying in the Spirit? Talk with God. You hear Kenneth saying he entered into the bathroom or into the toilet and he was praying. If he was, and I don't know, there was a particular message of his I I, I listened to for some years back. that's um, uh, what was the title of that message? I think I think it has something to do with uh, the, the um something also with father or, uh, or something like that. And he said he was in a minister's house or thereabout, and he was praying, and he was in the toilet, and he was having a conversational tone. He was praying, and he was a conversational tone. And the minister, you know, that he was in his house, put the the and the, the minister was asking himself, is is there someone inside the toilet with can Higgins? And it was like it was a conversational tone. It was on his knees, but he was having a conversation with his father. And like I mentioned at the beginning, there may be times when a, a child will say, Daddy, 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 help me. Maybe his hand is stuck in something. There are times that will happen. We understand. Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried out. There will be times when what you can do is cry. you, Because at that moment, You know, it's not a it's not a situation where you can say, Oh, daddy, I give it. No, that is maybe it's it's a situation that requires a an audience response. And you say, Father, help me. We understand. And you can groan in the spirit, we understand. But you see, Christians just praying normally in their room, and all they do is they are shaking their head and they are pissing back and, and shaking their head. And by the time they are they pray one hour, they are all sweaty sweating, and that is not fervency in prayer. No. That is not what it means to be fervent in prayer. You can be on your knees and be talking for hours. Or you can pray walk. People see Pastor Adeboye pray walking at the camp. If, he, if you don't get close to him, you know, So he has walked past some people and did not even know he was praying. And he will walk like that for four hours and just be talking. When I was serving, that was how I used to pray in the, in the Air Force barracks. I would be walking around How do we relate with this, Father? Father, we thank you tonight. We bless you for your word. We thank you for the knowledge that you have given to us on this topic. Father, we pray that as from tonight, the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. We we'll would see how to relate with you the way we ought to. And it will yield results as your word, as predicted. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen.